Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined, as always, by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? How was your Monday? It's not an alternate Monday. We, we, we're, we're doing on a, a normal time. It's, that's pretty great. I don't know, Dennis. Yeah, it's uh, here, here's, my, here's my time of the year to, to, to hate on the fact that it's getting dark when I get home, and when I wake up, it's dark outside. This is, this is the six months when everybody gets mm-hmm. to listen to me on the show complain about how darkness sucks. Yeah, mm-hmm. be, be jealous of those people that live on the equator. They're smart. They're smart is what they are. I don't know how people do it living in the North Pole or Alaska or wherever. Ugh. Yeah, different different strokes. I agree. I admire their their tenacity. Uh how's how's your week been? Have you seen have you seen an animated series called The Great North? I have not. Uh our buddy Pete told me about this one and it sort of well, you know, there there's new content being made all the time on all the places. Mm-hmm. But uh this is a series about a family that lives in Alaska. Uh, featuring Nick Offerman, right, mm-hmm, aka mm-hmm. Ron Swanson, and uh, Jenny Slate, who is um, Mona Lisa Saperstein in uh, mm-hmm. in Parks and Rec. Um, uh, uh, Will Forte, who was another, I think, SNL alum. You've probably seen him in stuff. Okay, um, and I think at least one other person. Oh, Megan Mullally, uh, Nick Offerman's wife. Mm-hmm. It has it's a secondary character, but uh, it's this family that lives in Alaska, and it's animated. T- Tammy too. Um, Tammy too. Yeah, and it's very, it's funny, but it's very like um, dense. The characters talk fast. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of wordplay kind of humor. Okay. Um, I watched it. I watched it myself and appreciated it and then watched it again with uh, dad and Sarah and I think maybe Andrew was with us. And they're like, this is good. It's just, it's a lot. It's so much. Like, they're just talking, talking constantly. Um, but you saying that about people living up north made me think of that <laughs> show. It's pretty good. Speaking of animated, have you seen an animated show called uh, Star Wars Visions? I have. I've seen... Maybe half of it, maybe two thirds. How many? How many um, are there? Are there eight, th- nine, something like that? I think there are eight or nine. Yeah. So I probably got like two or three left, depending on that uh, final. Count. What do you think? Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world, but I do watch a lot of anime. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely can tell the different. Um, different anime studios that made these episodes have very um varied styles yep um both in terms of art and music and sound and storytelling all of those things um i don't want to spoil any any specific episode but i'm enjoying very much how i think almost everybody manages to slip in a uh I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> um, the The writers seem to be, and I don't know, maybe you can speak to this more than I can, but the writers seem to be um, picking and bending certain of the of the rules and the lore, which I know is a thing that we got into at length with the prequel or the sequel trilogy mm-hmm. in terms of like 
what are the rules for the Star Wars universe? What can and can't you do? And what's okay and not okay for you to bend the rules in that way? And for the most part, there are probably a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, it seems like um, these writers and, and studios and whoever you, you know, give credit to this, give credit for this, um, are, are bending and interpreting the rules in a way that doesn't like it doesn't break anything else right it's kind of the the soft touch that a director like jj abrams seems to to lack in both star trek and star wars in some of his his filmmaking yeah I, it, but, you know it, uh, at length i i i like them I, i've liked them i've seen three we're, we're watching them three at a time they're only about 30 minutes mm, long okay and um yeah 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 I really, really enjoyed the first one. I like the the next two as well. Um, the first one though is like rock solid in my a play, constant playlist type thing or repeat playlist, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, I, this is we've talked a little bit at length about uh, what anthologies are and our opinions of them, kind of in the last even the last couple of weeks. Uh, this is the first one that I can get on board with. I think it's because it still has, it definitely has a thread, like a same thing, meaning being the Star Wars universe, like being bounty hunters or sure. Jedi or lightsabers or whatever, you know, it's, it's got, or, or droids that look like Star Wars droids, you know, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, the, the thing I have most to say about this is I was talking to my daughter and I was saying, I think um, I understand why. Um, Lucas, when he was, you know, George Lucas, when he was in control of all this franchise and such was very protective of his core movies, like, you know, the, the core material and not wanting to change things and not going too far, not allowing Mm -hmm. people to make, you know, TV shows or cartoons or anything that, that wasn't his stamp. Granted, we have things like the Christmas special, of course, um, but after mm. after ten years or so, he became very closed off with any kind of official things, right? Um, and then he made—I mean, if the Christmas special was his his example of what happens when he lets somebody make content in his universe, it's a little bit understandable. <laughs> That's true, right? Very, very well said. Very well said. Um, so, and then of course he wanted to—he finally got around his own self and did the prequels, which were terrible, and then he just would never kind of do stuff. He did loosen up a little bit there at the end mm. with things like the Clone Wars. Um, but, uh, seriously though, he's still him being able to sell it. And then Marvel or Disney's, sorry, Disney Marvel lost my head. Disney's decision to, uh, open it, open the whole world up to new interpretations. And I mean, primarily here, the idea that Jedi's existed after return of the Jedi, like, or, or sorry, after episode three, between episode three and episode four, there's a whole period there where and actually all the way through and until um, the force awakens, Disney has kind of allowed there to be Jedi, right? That, that they escaped order 66 and that Luke wasn't the only one Luke, Obi-Wan and, and Yoda weren't the only ones. Um, mm-hmm. And by, and by, by just kind of, yeah, I get that it, it kind of overrides Yoda's, thing of there can, you know, there's only, there's another, or and Obi-Wan saying that he's our last hope. Um, sure. But take that aside. You get great shows like this. You get great other 
people can use Jedi stuff and different stories and different things in this world using, you know, the force and, and whatnot, and just kind of making their own things, making their own story in this universe without yeah. those very, yeah. very strict restrictive rules. Um, and this is just a really good, so far these three episodes are examples of, you know, Hey, do your thing, make it, make it cool. And yeah, there's rule breaking, but I think it doesn't really it's supposed to have rules. It's kind of like, I don't even know if they, you, they should have, but they would have like locked down rules for an anime. That would have been terrible. Um, cause I, yeah. 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 And it's like, it it just depends. Like you have to have that. We had, we talked about this at length with um, the last couple seasons of game of Thrones, mm-hmm. right? Like there have to be rules to create dramatic tension. Yeah. Right. Because if you know, it's the Superman problem, right? Like if you don't have kryptonite or something, your story is boring because there are no stakes, right? It's like when, um, sure. when you take death out of, um, uh, a story when you could just bring somebody back and it's easy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then you're like okay well now there are no now there are no stakes in this story there's no there's no dramatic tension because there's no um there's no way that the hero can lose right right or whatever that's the most basic example um but then down to the specifics of like what exactly is a lightsaber and how is it you know do you have just this one style like can it be can they be made in other ways and they even do that in well what's now become the core canon with the the dark sabers and the mandalorians mm-hmm. um in in the series mandalorian um so yeah 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 that I, that's i i i uh I also appreciate how they can do their anime over the top type stuff. And it's totally fine. Uh, in one of the episodes, they, there's things like riding around on the front of an X wing in space, right. Or a lightsaber that's Mm -hmm. the size of like a star destroyer or something. Right. You know, and like, yeah, okay. That's, that Mm -hmm. is just, if that was in a movie, you would like just super eye roll, but here it's just cool because it's just cool. Right. Like, yeah, even mm-hmm. if you did like a um, a Star Wars Rebels or something and that happened in it, you'd be like, OK, now now you're getting too far. But for some reason, it just works in anime and it makes it cool in anime. Um, and I love mm-hmm. these artists that are just like, oh, yeah, I do this thing and it's very stylistic. And I'm like, yeah, that's what makes this different. You guys rock. You know, you, you have such a vision, which is, you know, name of it. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, really, I think. Something I like, I love about anime action is it's just, it's just so incredibly like the I, things these people have in their heads is just amazing. You know, how to make something look cool and impacts punches mm-hmm. hit and it's just, I don't know, it's so good. I, I I admire so much anime for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna watch the rest of them. It's it's pretty good. Um, since we're on like uh, Disney Marvel things, uh, you caught up with what if? Yeah, yeah, just saw the the latest one uh, over lunch today. Well, I think it's titled "What If Ultron Had Won." Is, is the mm-hmm, title of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, before we go into any spoilers with it, it's it breaks the anthology rule. Yeah, let me hit the bell real quick. Oh, sure. it, it breaks the anthology okay. rule. 
right? Yeah, yeah, which is it's fine. Like, you know, I'm always excited to have a story with some stakes that are that are long term. But, you know, I said this when we first heard about the show and I've I said it. I don't know if I said it about Star Wars Visions, but I've said it about other things like we watch so much that is is continuing and big story. And I think later we're going to talk about Foundation because I saw the first episode of that. Mm-hmm. And there's some of that stuff, especially if the episodes are long, where I just get fatigued. Sure, yeah. Um, p- part of the reason, I mean, anime has its own challenge, right? Because I watch it in the original language, and so I have to be oh, right. watching yeah. and reading and paying attention to it. I can't, you know, sort of multitask or whatever. Um, but one of the things that I really appreciate about anime is they almost never have episodes that are longer than your half-hour show runtime. Um, fair fair but in in the defense of their stories take two years to say to to move along right in general (laughs) sure depending depending on the show i've seen i've seen a handful you know like i've i've said many times i've never seen those like 300 episode shows but i definitely have followed anime and manga that are you know you know the stories doing a ross and rachel kind of thing where i'm like uh can we just Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can you just get get to we all know the conclusion you're working toward can you just get there like we've had enough right um but those are their own sort of sort of beast um and so i liked the idea to get back to the anthology thing i like the idea of as i said a show that doesn't have any homework a show that i can just watch it's one experience though if i you know listening to our last week's show our last week's podcast um i find that probably for the same episode length reason that I get burned out on on serialized shows um I have also not watched a lot of these anthology shows you know I watched like 3 episodes of the new twilight zone mm-hmm. one episode of uh of castle rock I mean black mirror I didn't get into for different reasons sure but um I don't know. I mean, that's, it's this, I mean, really, I, I don't know that I can blame that on the anthology format. I think that's more about episode length. Um, but, but yeah, so, so I don't know where um, this, this what ifs thing was going. It's a little more connected than I expected. I, you know, the whole setup is like, here's a what if we're going to explore this sort of world that like if this one thing changed here are these things that are different and it's a little bit serious a little bit goofy um you know some are goofier than others and now we're into like wait a minute this is not this is not goofy one-off story now now we're in something uh completely different do you think that just just guess there's no there's no way to know but do you think that the next one will continue this one like, is there, is there more to, to tell? Cause we're in spoilers now. Like, I don't know. I think, I think was it would Ultron be... stopped. I can't remember. It... Ultron was stopped, right? I don't think so. Yeah, he, I didn't think so either. So it felt like it didn't have an ending. Like, are they going to do? Yeah. I think two? it would be weird. I think it would be weird if it didn't continue this story. Yeah. Uh, which which makes it not anthology again, 
right? The next one be cereal. Right. Right. Um, I, I, I don't mind it, you know, me, cause I, I'm not generally not the anthology guy. I just said that I liked the Star Wars vision anthology. Um, I think I like the Star Wars anthology because, um, there's not a story that I want to find out about. There's not like characters that I, I care about right now in Star Wars. They, they've all got their endings and they were all wrapped up and there's only new stories to tell type stuff. Right. Even the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. the story is kind of wrapped up its main story with Grogu and such. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I like, I like, you know, Hey, there's new things, new ideas. It's not, and it's not like, I, Ooh, I got to see more Luke or I got to see more Ray or I got to see more whatever. Han Solo, you know, I've got all that stuff. So these new things are, are still within the world, but not, uh, you know, so I, I get more of that when you watch other anthologies, it's, it's, um, they're not about anything in particular. They're not in the same world. They're not, don't have a lot of that time together. Uh, what if right. did except that they're so, they've been so apart from each other. Like all of them don't follow any kind of rules. I guess we'd say, and that's the point of them, right? It's like Doctor Strange isn't isn't the guy that he was. He is. He doesn't have core things about him, and and Thor doesn't have core mm-hmm. things about him. And you know, uh, maybe, maybe the first one did, but anyway, it's just uh, they were fine story wise, and I, I've kind of semi enjoyed them enough. Uh, and so when this one had like an actual mo- story that I was interested in, like oh, this has this has implications or something, I it, it immediately gave me interest in it. And I guess it's kind of maybe me, me hmm. saying I liked it. Um, I did like that Ultron was better than he was in the movies. He's not wasn't terrible in the movies, but he's kind of a big threat in the comic books. Just in general, he's always a huge threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's good to see him kind of have that big big of an effect. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think if they do two episodes of it, that'd be cool. But I I would like this to continue to be an anthology. What ifs? Um, there's a lot of what ifs to tell. There's a lot of what ifs that you can explore. There's just a ton. I think I mentioned in our chat. There's over like 180 comics of what if comics that they did. You know, most of them aren't great, but some mm-hmm. of them are. You know, you got some really cool questions that that different writers can explore and do some fun things with. Uh, so you know, you you can keep on a series like this and do a lot of what ifs to, without having it to have big implications. Um, there's something I want to breach here, but I got to ask your permission to spoil you on something. It is. Uh, <laughs> so I watched Venom this weekend, which we can talk about that in a minute. That's not, that's not necessarily one word I talk about. Um, mm. I'd like to spoil the tag for you. Uh, it, you know, the, how they have mids mid credits you know, additional footage, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I will say, first off, my review of, of Venom is that it's just okay. It's just me. I think I I talked to you about this earlier before. It's if you like the sure. if you like the first I, one, sort of, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Our buddy Justin gave his spoiler-free impressions, and they were similar, sort of like not not too ambitious, not too you know uh, engaging. Yeah. Just kind of, kind of meh all around. Yeah. It's, it's exactly the same kind of feel acting storyline of not same storyline, but same level of storyline as the first one. So if you enjoyed that Mm -hmm. and, and 
the first one's story importance to action importance, same kind of weight. You know, it's like, well, yeah, there's a story there. Okay. It's okay, but it's basically basically this Venom fighting with Eddie and being goofy, maybe? I don't know where that is. Um, right, right. Through the whole thing. Uh, yeah, so that's that. But what what I'd like to talk about is this tag. Okay, is it all right if I spoil that for you? Or it's it's, sure. it's not huge. Um, so the tag goes here. Throw a spoiler bell out real quick. This is for the tag of Venom. Okay. So what happens is that this is not saying anything about the movie. Venom and Eddie are alive at the end. Surprise, surprise. And uh, they are in a kind of a rundown hotel somewhere in uh, in the lower hemisphere, or something like in the mid hemisphere, somewhere like around Mexico or maybe a tropics or Colombia or something like that, right? And um, they're sitting in a bed and they're just having a little bit of a conversation. And Venom says something kooky like he was connected to a high mind of billions of other symbiotes, and Eddie can't understand that. And he's like, oh, come on, give me, a, give me a try. He says, all right, I'll give you a little bit of taste of what it's like. And then right before Venom can start it, the whole room like shimmers and shakes and freaks. And it like it, it doesn't flash, but it just like melts real quick. And then all of a sudden it transforms just in this quick melting instant into a really nice hotel room on, on a tropical beach. And like, what just happened? What did you do? And Venom's like, that wasn't me. I didn't do anything. And then the TV comes on and... It's showing Peter Parker being J. Jonah Jameson on the news outing Peter Parker as Spider-Man. Um, and Venom walks up and like, ooh, this guy. I, you know, there's something about this guy. So, mm. and that's all it was. But it's kind of heavily le- uh, led to the fact that, one, Venom is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. Um, and two, sure. his reality was changed, which means... Most likely, whatever Doctor Strange does in the next Spider-Man movie to make, you know, he Spider-Man does something with warping mm-hmm. realities mm-hmm. and causing multiverse problems, um, that that changes Venom's reality as well. And that's why he's in this new, different kind of room and everything's different. Um, okay. And, and that in itself is pretty neat. What I wanted to get your take on is we just talked about how you got to do your homework for stuff, right? Like there's so much, mm. especially MCU, you know, if you're into Marvel movies, it's, that's what you love. But I think at this point, it's just friggin' hard to get into the Marvel world these days without homework. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, which is fine. That's, that's my, that's my big, that's my big complaint with homework. Like I don't want, it's like, um, uh, what what was it you said this about Gundam maybe or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know there are some and and sometimes this is more egregious in in anime uh, uh, franchises or Japanese franchises I should say. Um, in the case of things like the Fate franchise, n- notorious for being one of the most convoluted, like the the universe began with a visual novel, which is a a type of video game that's out of print. You can't get it anymore. <laughs> And then multiple series, multiple movies made by different studios. Sometimes it's the same story retold by a different studio like 10 years later. 
and it's you know it's this sort of like the characters are heroes of legend that are brought back to fight and so you get the same characters in different eras with different you know partners and all this stuff and it's just and it's just a mess and that's you know it's complicated by or exacerbated by the fact that it's in japanese so there are not a lot of good um english language resources and all that but we've talked about that same thing in um in marvel like how do you know where to start you know we had a conversation in chat earlier this week our buddy fox was like what what movies do you need to have seen to be able to watch infinity war and endgame and i'm i came up with a list off the top of my head and his list was even more concise than mine he had it down to like four movies yeah, I, like, I disagree I with can that you too. Watch, <laughs> but sure. Can you watch uh you know, can you watch Infinity War if you haven't seen Black Panther? Like do you know enough about Wakanda? Like well, what was and then I was, you know, I was working at, we're packing up here at the house. So I'm thinking through it and I'm like, well, what's the movie where you really get introduced to Wakanda? That's when uh his father gets assassinated or you know, gets yeah, I guess assassinated is the best word for that. Mm. Um, and that is what the big is that in, that's in Civil War, right? I think so. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, that's Civil War. But can you watch Civil War if you haven't seen both Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron? I mean, you could, but you're going to be kind of confused if you've only seen Avengers. And that's that's the whole thing. It's like, what do you need to see and and have not seen? And the other thing that I was thinking about in this in this conversation of like um, bigger story versus individual work, mm-hmm. right? Like, does a movie stand on its own or is it part of the franchise? And the more uh, the more weight, the more emphasis you put on the big arc, like the big story the less the story of those individual movies matter unless they're directly part of the main story, right? Like, um, like infinity war is, or what's another, I can't think of another good example. I mean, maybe civil war is, but I, I think about, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, right? Ant-Man two. Yeah. It has its own whole story. It has two, whole stories yeah. right it has an it has an a and b plot in its own movie right there's this the girl wraith or ghost or whatever mm-hmm. and then the and Lawrence fishburne and the story of hank's wife in the in the quantum realm mm-hmm. and the quantum realm ends up being significant to endgame but not until you see endgame and you really have like the basic understanding of the quantum realm from the first iron man movie um and really you know going back to that homework question like if you've just seen civil war the quantum realm thing in endgame is nonsense anyway and you get enough of what you need you're like okay cool the quantum realm lets you travel in time like that's really all in endgame itself you don't have to have seen ant-man and wasp at all and so then you watch Ant-Man and Wasp and you're like, oh, wow, this whole, like, the actual story of this movie, which is 
about this girl sort of stalking them and what's going on with her going out of phase doesn't matter to anything and is completely forgettable because you're so focused on, man, I know that even even as I watch it the second time, I'm like, I know how important um, um, Scott is to the story of Endgame that I'm like, can we get, get past this stuff with this girl? I know that this isn't important. <laughs> sure. Um, and it sort of spoils that movie. Now, you know, that story being boring is not like that story is not boring because there's this bigger story going on, distracting from it. That doesn't help. That makes it worse. That story is boring on its own. Yeah. But you know, there, there are all these, these factors at play. I don't remember what question you asked me before <laughs> I went off on that I, whole I th- like uh, well I, uh, I was stream of consciousness I was kind of I was kind of on a little things uh, one just to, to shore up a response to what you had said here without going too long is that um, I, I I had this uh, for the longest time we've talked at length about uh, you should watch X Y or Z and and whatnot I I don't know in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this these these super abridged, abridged lists that Fox has came out with like four four movies and such I, my immediate reaction was like nope that's just dumb because you just can't there's just too many that you can't um, and then my next response was like well if you're gonna go that far just say you just need to watch Infinity War and Endgame like if you're gonna say nothing matters that everything else you can get get along with then just do that because. I watched episode four without knowing anything about Anakin Skywalker or anything about how the uh, Luke's um, Han Solo was wanted by Jabba the Hutt or anything about how uh, the Death Star plans came about to be in Princess Leia's hands. I, I had no backstory of all these people or characters or things, and I just figured it out. You, you know, you just figure it out or you just move along or don't say, if I want to find out about it, I can go watch other movies in the, in the past. Um, the plot still moves along. Right. So like, I think at this point Mm -hmm. with the homework of the MCU, you just jump on with the movie and you just go, it's, it's just like watching an anime that's like bleach. Sure. You could start at episode one, but just start watching it right now. Or, you know, just, just jump in on Mm -hmm. my hero academia season four. People will like, you know, sacrilege. You should watch all 50 episodes before that. Like, no, I bet you, you could just jump in and start watching, you know? Yes. When you have the time, you can probably go back and learn a lot more about these people and everything will be considerably more impactful. Considerably, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when yeah. somebody dies in Infinity War, you're just not going to have that care that somebody turned to dust. You, you just don't care, right? Um, or any mm-hmm. of the lines. But that's fine. You still can understand the story. Okay, so moving off onto that one. Going back to this thing I'd mentioned with Venom. Is where we started. Um, mm-hmm. So the interesting, I I was talking to our buddy Fox today about this was that um, I, what I think is most interesting and made me kind of really like this tag. The whole show was over. And I was like, eh, I watched that show. And then I watched this tag. I actually really liked it. Everyone in the room, I held, I heard an audible that was waiting for this tag, heard an audible like, Oh, type thing. You know, they were all really mm-hmm. amazed at it mm-hmm. was because, you got one company making a movie that affects another company's other movie. <coughs> you know what I mean there? Like these are made by Venom's made mm-hmm, by Sony mm-hmm. and yeah, the intellectual property is, right. is um, Marvel, 
But Venom doesn't have anything to, at this this point, has nothing to do with Spider-Man. Nothing to do with any Marvel thing whatsoever. It's, they're completely standalone characters. Yes, someday they might cross over. Right. But the fact that he can multiverse shift, he can be multiverse shifted, and this will completely affect his next movie for sure. That's crazy, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. That's, that's another another company with a whole different movie with a whole different design team affecting this other company with its other movies. Uh, so if I go watch Venom three now, uh, how do I watch Venom three without knowing what, who Dr. Strange is or the TVA or any of that? I, I just didn't know what to think. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, when we watched infinity war and Endgame, like, Usually the movies give you what you need. Mm-hmm. Um at least at least they give you what you need for their own movie, right? Like you maybe don't understand to go back to Ant-Man and Wasp again. Maybe you don't understand why Scott is under house arrest. Um but you don't necessarily need to know that to follow the plot of that movie because everything you need to know about um hank's wife somebody is going to explain to somebody yeah right either hank explains it to scott or hope explains it to scott or scott or one of those three characters explains it to um luis or his his buddy right but this, this is just one of those things that like it's not a marvel movie that's that's kind right. of what I'm getting at. Right. It's not this isn't a made by that company. Right? And, and even if Sony went out and made its own little universe like DC did, what the heck, man? You know, y- y- now you're having ramifications of other movies that I should watch to watch another, this other movie. I'm not against it, by the way. I I being a big Marvel like mm-hmm. nut, Marvel MCU nut, I love it, but I just sure. like people who like Venom like Venom, you know? That's like uh, mm-hmm. they don't have, it's nice to have these little bite sized things and maybe a little allusion to bigger worlds, but not everything has to be, they, they could be Ant-Man and the Wasps, right? They, they don't have to, right. We, we, there's a Morbius movie coming out and I think it's going to like branch over other things too. I don't blame, you know, other companies for wanting to do this franchise world MCU type thing. Um, I really don't. It, it's neat. It's a neat, new way of cinema, I guess. Um, but sure, I mean, it's a it's a form of storytelling that film studios don't don't normally get to do. And of course, for the guys at the top, it's like a money printing machine. Oh, for sure, right? Like you know, and I heard somebody say something about even this Venom movie, and that's some of that is like, uh, it depends on the studio. It depends on how much like goodwill the studio is built up right disney yeah. can make very expensive movies that bring in you know that make a lot of money right a very profitable venture very expensive yet profitable venture on a movie that is like just passable at best like the the photorealistic lion king mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and that's disney right like not everybody can do that but right. disney can right. for a little while anyway they couldn't, you know, they couldn't do it consistently. They couldn't, you know, 
put, I mean, they can, and then they eventually have like, that'll taper off and they'll have to change something, you know, reacquire Pixar and <laughs> uh, whatever. Now I'm talking about Disney history, but, um, um, but you know, Marvel is doing it, you know, they're almost like a, a unicorn in that regard where sure there are plenty of people who are unimpressed by their, you know, success in their movies and how just how many of them there are sure. which i can i get if you're not into it it's just exhausting um but so many other studios have tried have tried to do this they're like oh what if we had a franchise with different kind of things and we can bring all these things together and the only ones that the only ones that do work are the like endless sequel remake kind of things and even those are not perfect i'm talking about stuff like mission impossible and mm, yeah. transformers right. and james bond right? right um where it's it's kind of the same movie every time right. and that's fine if there's enough of a buffer in between and the formula is something that people like fast and the furious another good example right yeah um it's a similar kind of you know money printing machine yeah um and you know people will say that there's a a formulaic nature and and a sort of sameness to marvel movies and to a, an extent that's true but not not at the, in this not to the same degree as a james bond or a fast and the furious sure i i uh, I, I still think the the idea that sony can jump onto another company's money-making machine is pretty brilliant like it, it really is like they they can just now it make their it own thing something that connects to this other thing that's other companies doing really good at instead of making their own yeah you know it says something it says something about the the success or profitability or whatever of sony um that they that disney has to like deal with them right sure. has to like make a deal with them and can't can't get them to just sell Spider-Man back to them. Sure. Well, they did, right. they did, they, they did to... with Fox. That's what they did to Fox, right? They just bought out all the Fox stuff. I mean, they, they bought all of Fox. So, well, all of Fox, except for Fox sports and Fox news, which Correct. were probably the biggest, uh, money makers sure. uh, for Fox anyway. Right. Um, but they, and, yeah, they, you did, know, they did Sony has, Sony has, right it, they make video games they make a console they make mm -hmm. i assume they're still making some other kinds of consumer electronics you know when i was a kid sony made tvs and vcrs mm -hmm. and yeah, stuff yeah they, they do and you know now they're making movies well the 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 real thing that i think is worth if you go through if you're a, a history of the business uh fan or a an academic or whatever of cinematic history. I think this is, this has got to be really a truly amazing thing to study, like a do a research paper or something on, or some kind of a, mm. a, a tell all book because getting, mm -hmm. it's not just necessarily it's to Sony's credit. You're right. And it's also to, to both. I think both companies have people in them that are on one hand, very strong and powerful and have a lot of good talent and maneuver as administrators. And also have the same somehow ability to have uh, humility and humbleness. Like Marvel doesn't need 
Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man is their biggest comic book property, probably their biggest well-known one, but they were stupid mm-hmm. successful without him, right? They could have just continued sure, to let sure. Sony make terrible Spider-Man movies and, and whatever. But they, you know, made a deal. They didn't have to, but they made a deal. And they're continuing to make these deals, and it's helping Sony out as much as it's helping Marvel. And Sony the same way. They could have continued on with their terrible movies. They've tried two different franchises of Spider-Man. It never got into the same success. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could continue on with their Sinister Six world or whatever. But they also can be humble in meetings with somebody else and say, hey, maybe we're not the best at this and maybe we can cut a deal. You know, that's I think it takes mm-hmm. two people with big, stupid pride heads to come down and say, let's do this for mutual kind of benefit, which is which is great. I think, you know, we don't see enough in this mm-hmm. world of mm-hmm. working together for mutual benefit and it's anything in this world. It's all sure very sure. selfish. So I, I like seeing it. And this that was the neat thing about this Venom thing is that, you know, he, here's two companies working together to make to make a co-universe and Sony will make its own Spider-Man movies and Spider-Man universe, but it will cross over mm-hmm. with all the different ones will cross over with Marvel ones, which is pretty cool. Um, the next thing I want to see is maybe, I guess we only see Spider-Man crossover to the MCU stuff, but you know, maybe another Morbius or Venom or something like that would be show up in mm. another one. It, 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 or, you know, who knows? It'd be, it'd be kind of cool to, to see those little call outs. Um, and whatnot. So anyway, that, that was neat. And uh, the, the rest of the Venom movie was just, and it's making good money right now. So, you know, it's good to see that people want to go back out and watch that. And it's not a, a stream on day and date of release on streaming. So people only have one choice to go watch it and they're going to theaters. So yeah, yeah. that, that should, that should tell people like Warner brothers, like, well, if we release it on theater, will they want, will they come? Well, yeah, they, they will. All right. So, what what else do we got this week? We got we watched our uh, our show that I didn't get to watch last week. The the movie. You want to talk about that? Yep. All right. So this one is one of your movies, right? Yep. Yep. Called this is Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Yep. yep. The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. It's from 1964. Okay. Um. I won't say its original title because I can't pronounce French words, but um, this is a, what? This is a romantic tragedy, maybe, is the best way to say that. And even that, it sort of spoils it, but uh, I'm going to hit the bell here. For for a for almost 50-year-old movie? Right, or, or right. Or a 60-year-old movie, something like that? Which is, you know, there's, you know, despite being fairly old, there's a pretty good chance that you've not seen it. And uh, just like me, I've never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Um, This is a movie. I think I said this before. um, I listened to the podcast, uh, The Omnibus Project with uh, Ken Jennings and John Roderick. And Ken Jennings name dropped this movie in some conversation. I don't remember the full context of the conversation anymore. Um, but I was like, that sounds kind of interesting. And I know vaguely where Cherbourg is because um, when my sister Sarah and I were in Ireland, we went to the Titanic Museum mm-hmm. in Belfast. 
where the Titanic was built. Yeah. And Cherbourg was the first sort of stop after, um, uh, not Liverpool. Um, I forget the name, like where they launched, like first the ship came down from Belfast. It picked up a bunch of passengers in, in Southern England. And then on its way out to the Atlantic, it stopped in Cherbourg and not in Cherbourg, but outside because there was, um, the port in Cherbourg is not big enough, not deep enough for these, for these ocean liners. Right. And so they had these small, not quite ferries, but like small boats that would, um, bring passengers out. And one of those is still intact in Belfast at the Titanic Museum. It was a wow. restaurant in Paris for many years. And so I'd heard of the city and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to check out this movie. Sure. And I watched it in a couple of sittings at night, um, sort of as I was falling asleep, whatever. Um, and then got to the end and kind of thought about it for a few days and then watched it again. I'm like, I want to watch this again. It's so like, um, I, th- I think of it almost just as an experience. There's so much like artistry going on all the time. And it's so different from anything else that I've ever seen. Like I've seen foreign language movies. Mm-hmm. I've seen musicals, but I've seen very few, if any, like full length, um, foreign language musicals it's a little bit like like you said last week like an opera um and it's funny because there's a there's a scene in this movie where they go and see the opera carmen which is all in italian um and it's and it's a sort of thing of like you're going and seeing and maybe you understand the language but there's a pretty good chance that you don't yeah and so you're you're sort of it's it's the um it's the uh the sort of otherness that I describe with um, anime and sci-fi and fantasy. This like the characters being just enough of a remove from me for me to be able to experience the emotions uh, and, and, and sympathize, empathize with the emotions involved without getting distracted uh, by the, by the people. And of course this is still people, but it's many years in the past and in another country, in another language. Yeah, it, it should be it should be fair to say I think uh, so. We lay it to rest. It, it's especially people who are listening and not sure. It's definitely not a musical. It's definitely a drama or an opera. And and I and, and mm. there's a, that's that's the clear distinction. The definition of opera is a stage drama set to music in its entirety. A musical is where you have musical okay. numbers in between it, and then there's talking. Yeah. So this is yeah. if definitely you're, an opera. If you're looking for a, a My Fair Lady or Music Man or um or Phantom. No, Phantom's uh, like, an opera too. Like that's that's one of the things that people talk when they talk about like why mm. they like Phantom of the Opera is because it's an opera all the way through. Everything is sung the whole thing and it's not a musical. Um is What about uh Les Misérables? Is that is there talking in that? I don't remember. I it's been too think long it's an opera. It. I, it's been a while too, but but I, I don't know if there's there's 
talking and there's someone's going, I, I can't believe that I don't, I don't know this, but I, I and, think it's, I think it's an opera too. Uh, yeah. That's the, the same. I'm kind of, I'm kind of baffled at this. Another thing that should be noted is that there is almost no chorus or, or choir, uh, uh, vocal singing. The, the scope of this, of this story of this show is very small. Um, one or two, like, I think the most characters you see speaking at a time is four. And that's only a handful of times. It's mostly one or two characters. And there, there's no, like, choir big group singing until the crescendo at the very end of the, of the show, of the play, of the movie. Yeah. Okay, so so we, we, sh- we let me be a little bit more clarification. I'm sure there are music majors out there who are who are screaming. Mm. Um, this is what might be called a rock opera. Same thing as Les Mis is a rock opera, and when what that means is that I, I actually think of like Hamilton is a rock opera. It's mm. it's where they okay, sure, sure. they yes they're speaking, but they're speaking in a rhyme or uh, in a singing type thing. They're not necessarily, um, you know like having a musical number, right? If you watch Disney shows, yeah. they have di- musical numbers. That's that's a musical. If you watch yeah, if you, The if Greatest you Showman, about, it's got If you musical. think about the idea of of a show tune, a quote-unquote show tune, yeah. um, there's, there's none of that in this movie. And I thought of, it made me think, and it was interesting watching this with people because I've seen it at least twice myself in bits and pieces. I've never, never sat and watched the whole thing. And it is divided up into three acts or they say parts and their title cards uh uh in the movie it was interesting watching it with people because um i watched this with my sisters sarah and becca and i got to see their (laughs) sort of reactions to things and i'm like oh yeah i know this is coming because i've seen it at least twice within the last two years um but i had a professor in college who told me and that's a weird way to say it like he was a electrical engineering professor we weren't talking about movies or music or anything but he told me once that um the french couldn't sing um in in scat like if you know what that mm-hmm. means like the swing scat sort of zibidi bop bop you know yep, like yep. Uh, uh, louis prima does in the the original lion king um because the the french language doesn't has no mechanism for that it's it's a sort of flowery flowy kind of language that doesn't it doesn't have these highs and lows um that english has and so when i'm watching this movie um with my sisters i'm like a lot of this music is almost jazz music and they're and you know it's it's 1964 so it's a yeah you know kind of the the height of maybe not the height but a a height of jazz in that in that era especially in film and I'm like, it's, it's awkward. Like, but it's part of what, part of what makes this movie endearing to me. I've said this before about, um, about anime. I often am listening to the language. I'm listening for words that I know. And it's the same thing with French. Like I can't speak French. I've never mm-hmm. studied it, but I know little bits and pieces and I can hear the words that I know there are a lot of French words that are just English words pronounced different. Like they say marriage, it's like mariage, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same word. They're just saying it differently than right. we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was much easier for me to watch subtitled than an anime would be. Um, because sure. I don't know any of the words. 
in for Japan, <laughs> right? Like I don't know any of them. So it's just right. like right. complete gibberish. And then I'm reading English words. Um, granted, I know mm-hmm. over time you can pick things up, but with French, just yeah. like you said, they say so many things that are the, you know, uh, there's an English thing. They're just saying it with a different accent. Um, so mm-hmm. even and this movie did a great job with the subtitles that, um, they would not subtitle everything things a couple times. There were, mm-hmm. uh, you know, regularly they would, they'd say bonjour and they wouldn't mm-hmm. say good morning or whatever. They just walk and say bonjour, bonjour. Right. And then they would say the next line would be in subtitles. Like, cause you know yeah, what that there's means, a, right? There's a, there's a postal delivery man. And I noticed this a couple times, um, watching it with my you know he comes in and he's bonjour madame and she says bonjour bonsoir and he leaves and there's no subtitles through any of that yeah exactly like, there's no subtitles okay well if you don't if you don't understand like you don't need you don't need the specific words here to understand what's happening like he's popping in and he's got mail and she's thanking him and he's leaving like yeah it's, yeah and, and i thought that, that was really well done and, you know um Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, that, that was, it was much easier to, to watch that. I could even do something I can never do when I watch anime or even any Japanese subtitle things is like, I could look away. Like I could, mm-hmm. I could look away and just for like, a, you know, 10, 15 seconds and still hear and get the gist of what they're saying and then look back over. Right. And, and, and that's, I'm not knocking any of the other foreign language. They're just, a, it's a romantic Latin based language versus not one. Right. Um, sure, so, sure. so that, that made that, that's just a compliment to say it was easier for me to watch this one, uh, because of that. Um, mm. this one for me didn't do much, honestly. Uh, it was sure. just fine. I, I will start off by saying I really enjoy the sets. I really enjoy the actors mm-hmm. or actresses. They did a serviceable job. Um, the, um, I'll say again, the sets, they're just super colorful. They are just really, really stylized so, and neat. Like, so colorful. I I tried to I tried to prepare my sisters for this. I'm like, I don't know if this was early in the Technicolor era, or maybe it was new to France, or maybe it was just a a quirk of this particular director, um Jacques Demy. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but both um director and writer of this movie um the sets are are outrageously colorful yeah um there's a scene uh becca pointed out and of course i notice it every time that i watch it too like uh catherine deneuve is wearing a dress that matches the wallpaper in the room she's standing in. <laughs> yeah no like, yeah right oh, what what's what's going on like any anything that can be a bright 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 primary color like saturated to the extreme is is how the sets in this in this movie yeah. are the the, are the word i like to use is pop everything pops into some pretty good and, and yeah. not, i mean yeah. they have they have things where they're on the street and they're walking but then the buildings mm-hmm. or the wallpaper even they have them like looks like it's been an old um plaster paris wall or something it's still like this you know vibrant green color but it so it looks like it's war mm-hmm. but still popping right it, it reminded mm-hmm. me of um not the movie but the the stylistic type choice with it from a director was a wes anderson's the grand budapest hotel we watched it, it has okay sure it had sure, a yeah. lot of colors that were like vibrant pinks and 
fluorescence and reds and vibrant stuff that the whole through the whole movie. Um, and that's what reminded me of there is like, Oh yeah, this is, this is, this is, I can see a directorial choice or set choice, wherever it is that made that this was a choice mm-hmm. and, and it's very yeah, for stylistic sure. for the show. And, and I liked it and they stuck with it the whole time. And it was a nice thing. Uh, at one point the mother says, um, you know, I, when I was pregnant with you, I got up on, on a ladder and did all the wallpaper in the shop. I'm like, when did you do that? Because this is like brand new wallpaper in this <laughs> just, just now. It's, it's, it's all looks so new. Um, and they kept saying the rundown shop. And I'm like, no, it's a, it's a beautiful shop. It's, you know, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, the reason I say I guess it didn't do anything to me. There was nothing that surprised me. And, and I, I know it's going to sound bad. And this is just my own opinion, obviously. Nothing surprised me. It's the same story of young kids fall in love. One goes off to war. And when they're off at war, Another one marries somebody else. He comes back from war. Uh, is sad that she, you know, married somebody else, and then he marries somebody else at the end. Like that. That's yep. so. Like it now. It's cliche. Maybe it wasn't 1964, but just that's so many from Shakespeare type stuff. It's just a normal well, story. There was nothing that surprised the, me there with that at all. Yeah, yeah. This this was interesting, and I don't know if. Probably part of it was was me and the, the the combination of movies that I have been exposed to and the sort of self selection of movies that I watch. Mm. Um, I've not seen a lot of quote unquote romantic tragedies. Mm, okay. um, you know the 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 romantic movies that I see are movies that my parents watch, right? Romantic comedies where whatever, however you expect things to work out in the end. That's how they're going to work out. It's the it's the Hallmark thing or the Lifetime yeah. thing, whatever studio or or cable channel uh, uh, you want to label you want to use for this for this genre of film. And so there are a couple of things going on that I think are interesting. Maybe then they're probably not as notable now as they would have been in the era. Sure. Um, one of the one of the reviews I read for this said. Um, you can tell how uniquely French this story is, um, because it's a story about a teen pregnancy. Yeah, she's supposed to be sixteen when this starts. Yeah, the the actress is twenty, but she's she's seventeen throughout the throughout the bulk of the story. Um, and if you if if somebody in the United States had made this movie in nineteen sixty four. The like scandal of the teen pregnancy of the un, uh, you know, out of wedlock pregnancy would have been the whole movie. Yeah, right. It would have been huge. This this, you know, gigantic scandal and like we've got to cover this up and the whole. And while it's not, um, it's not okay in this story. Like it's still a concern mm-hmm. for the mother. It's like, okay. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be best if we can if we can deal with this if you know if you f- find somebody if the baby had a father like it's still important but it's not like blown way out of proportion. I mean, yeah, proportion and, and they they, they also that, don't but... focus on the kid at all, which is would typically you would hear. It didn't throw me for a loop. It was just like, oh, all right, they're gonna go the whole thing about it's my kid too and stuff and like. I was expecting all those tropes to happen, right? Like they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. going to start, this is the drama that they're going to put on. And then they didn't. 
and and I was like, oh, okay. No, it's like I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a fresh air. Uh, it was I, just like, okay, I'm, I'm glad they didn't, but yeah, right. And, and, I, and that's why um, I think a lot of this okayness was it, it being just okay was that the the themes I, I said the whole movie just just a minute ago. Like I said the whole thing. I said the every plot point mm-hmm. all the way through was said in like three sentences, um, and. Right. They, those three sentences are drug out in three acts. Like it's, they, she loves him and she loves Guy and he loves her Mm -hmm. and they're in love and they're teenagers and they're going to tell us that Mm -hmm. for, I looked at the timer 40 minutes. Like he's, (laughs) he's there. Uh, you meet the mom. Okay. What's, there's no big surprise here. Mom doesn't like uh, the boyfriend. Like that's okay. Like every mom of a teenager in every movie ever made. Right. And like, so nothing's right. new right. is happening here. And at, at the 40 minute mark is when he gets his draft notice. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that was a long time of her saying, I love you. You love him. And Shatem, Shatem. Oh, it's Shatem. And I want to see you after work and Shatem. <laughs> and and it, it wasn't like a drug because the movie's only like an hour and a half long. It's just like, yeah, it's not very I long. was expecting more depth, more things to happen. Or when he goes to war, there'd be more things with him in war or more information or maybe the the guy that comes along and is enraptured with her would have more of his story is that he once loved somebody and then they didn't love each other anymore. And that little mm-hmm. thing had a little montage of looking down the shopping area while he said he loved somebody and then he never loved him. And then, then he just met this girl. I'm like, mm-hmm. that wasn't a story. It's, there was no depth to it. There was no extra color here. It's just simply, as I said, girl loves boy. Boy goes off to war. She marries somebody else. He comes back, marries somebody else. And yeah, and that's, that's it. There's really no, and every time you, you want, or you think that there's going to be more depth, there really isn't. And it's not bad. Nobody does any bad parts there, right? There, the, the singing mm-hmm. doesn't get no. annoying. It, the singing doesn't go into like musical numbers or any kind of, they're always doing story stuff. Um, mm-hmm. All the characters are good. Guy is sympathetic. She is likable. Uh, I did see an interview with, um, oh my gosh, why am I missing his name right now? He's the guy that did the, on Parks and Rec, you always see that outro where he's in, um, he does that long diatribe with comic book nerds and Thanos and. Uh, oh, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. He does a lot of things, but that's something I can think of. Patton Oswalt uh, mm-hmm. did a kind of a little introduction to this movie and he mentioned uh, through mm. even though the male gaze isn't supposed to be the most important thing, the the lead actress is beautiful. Like she is just mm-hmm. like makes your heart fall in love with her beautiful. And I and I don't want to put sure. too much into that, but it's kind of important. I think her just being every scene, you look at like that you'd want to love her. Right? You you can see why Gee sure. loves her and why and and for her to love someone makes you want to love you know, you want like, oh of course, this is real love because this woman is just beautiful and perfect and flawless. And not just her looks, but just the way she is. And you can almost see why what I think of is the creepy guy that comes in later that wants to, to marry her at 17. And yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I kind of get it. Cause she's just like a beautiful creature. Um, and so, so that, that's something that's something that, that adds to the, to the show that makes me watch it and feel about it. But beyond that, I, I said, it, it just wasn't a whole lot for me. There was nothing really surprised me except when they met at the gas station at the end. Um, I'm glad that Guy kind of stood his ground and was like, 
I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm totally fine. And then, and then when they showed him walk up to his family at the end and give um, the other girl a, a kiss and then like be with his family, mm-hmm. I thought that's mm-hmm. great. I'm glad it ended that way. That's I, I, I didn't feel that's it what it was for me. It's the it 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 sticks this landing that you're like, oh no, it seems like it seems tragic, and it seems like, um, you know, whatever, whatever. Like I compared it to right like the what's the what's the love story everybody knows right like what's the greatest love story of all romeo and juliet or romeo and juliet which ends in a in it ends in a double suicide right right? right, spoilers i guess for (laughs) shakespeare the most well-known shakespeare story (laughs) and this is like the emotional intensity at the beginning at least on her part is that romeo and juliet level of like Oh, jeez, I know that you, you think, and of course she's, even even the 17-year-old Jean Fiev is, you know, older than I think Juliet is supposed to be like 15, maybe yeah, or younger. younger. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, well, this is, this is not that, right? Like, in the end, they're, they're both fine. And he, by all accounts, is happy with his life. Like... It's this sort of like, you know, you you think this way. And it was interesting to watch this with my sisters because I, you know, like I said, I watched it and I got to the end and I'm like, the combination of that last scene with the gas station and the music, I'm like, this is a kind of beautiful ending to to what should or could have been a really tragic story mm-hmm. and made me want to kind of go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. And... I watched it with my sisters and they were very focused and fixated on the character of the mom. Right. Okay. I, you, you know, the mom is very, uh, I don't want to say manipulative. It's if you're, you know, and I'm not a parent, so I don't, I don't know, but from a parent perspective, things that she says and does seem understandable if not if not justifiable and it's and it's mostly things that she says right especially especially for that time that time period especially right especially in that time and and if you know the character the the genevieve character is 17 you're like okay yeah i know that you think that but you're you're really like you're gonna be fine you're yeah yeah but but you, you, you say these. But things, on the other you, hand, you she like tries to marry her off to this other like grown up dude who's a businessman. Right. That's met her twice. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, the mom is definitely manipulative, not in an evil way, but just like you said, understandable way. I think she's. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think she's just like I think most parents would do. Everybody's different, but. Is that when someone's sixteen year old, sixteen years old, you do your best to try to tell the kid what would be best, but you also realize that they're going to do their own thing. Like she wasn't like a, another thing that you see a lot of these movies is that the mom is a hater for the the kid, like the the boyfriend, and she didn't like him right. for per se, but not because she didn't like him, just because she's sixteen and it's not that you know you don't really know what love is type stuff. Um, but she was never like yeah, and like you think you want to do these things, and and he has like he's okay, but he has no like 
ambitious. Nothing really it. to to recommend him, and then and then he gets drafted into this conflict, and you're like, he might not come back at all. So, you know, maybe maybe don't don't miss out on this on this opportunity to be you know well taken care of in an era you know where where women like they're running a shop they're working but you know it's still this kind of like you really need a you need a man a partner and yeah i mean the the whole um, the whole movie that's actually what what should be i expected you to talk about (laughs) for the most part here was that you gotta you gotta look at this through the lens of the time because a lot a lot of this movie is like grown worthy by today if if you're twenty two years old right now, you'd probably get angry watching this show i think <laughs> because uh you know that it's all about having to live with the man i mean that's the crux of this whole show is that she wants mm. to marry him and live this life with him, and the mom doesn't have a man to support her, and that's why their taxes are overdue, and they can't do anything but this shop. And they even talk about how she should have loved married another man, the mom. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the woman's pregnant and the her husband, her, her love interest, the father, may not come back from war. So she better marry this guy for his money. Right. And he's kind of nice. Right. They say, right. well, he's not a creep. Well, yeah, cool. Um, but they, she, they barely know him. Right. He barely knows her right. uh, in, in, by any stretch. And he is willing to marry her after three visits in when she's like five minutes pregnant and she is five months pregnant, still hearing and getting letters from her boyfriend or the the father and just decides to marry this guy. Like it was just, Mm -hmm. I I, I had no respect for her at the end, I guess it was like none. When as soon as she got married and tossed it off, I was like done. And the fact that he doesn't Mm. carry a torch for her at the end, Felt good. That's why I know you called it a tragedy, but to me, it really wasn't. It just felt like, right? No, it's good. Like Guy was the one that got hurt here, and rightfully so. And it was really nice for him to. I actually thought the woman that he marries, I thought it was his sister for like half the movie. Um, Oh, (laughs) because she kept coming in on the the old lady that I think was his mom, Mm -hmm. but I don't really know. Uh, his his aunt he calls her aunt but i think when uh Genevieve is describing him to her mother uh i think i think that's the context she refers to her um elise as his uh godmother okay and then there's this other girl uh who's really kind like super kind Madeline. and she's also like supermodel pretty um just very 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 pretty and and got a kind i think the uh, Genevieve has like a beautiful smile and always looks radiant. This girl looks reserved mm-hmm. and calm. She's more, she's more demure. Demure. That's right. Good word. And, uh, but she's very, very nice. So obviously she's super sweet. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and selfless. And, and I like, I like her lines. That, that's something I should say. I, I do like about this movie. It's very simplistic. When I say it's very meh and whatever, it's very predictable. It's because it's very simplistic. Uh, the, the, the characters are real mm-hmm. enough. Like she says, I don't want, you know, it's not that I don't love that you love me or you're saying these words to me or that I don't want to marry you. I do feel these way, but I also worry that you're still in love with her. Like they address the things straightforward. Mm-hmm. They don't dwell too mm-hmm. heavily on them. They don't go, granted it's a 1960s movie and not a 1990s or, or 2000s movie where they would overblow everything. They just kind of like are very practical and 
you know, mm-hmm. properly, I don't want to say understated or overstated. They're just stated, you know, on the problems. Um, Guy is, yeah. is, a, is in a bad place, but they don't spend more than 10, 15 minutes on that at most. And then mm-hmm. she addresses right. it. They move on into the movie. It's what it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't, in final thoughts, I personally wouldn't put this on any kind of list. Um, I didn't hurt that I watched it. Um, I can't think I would recommend it to anybody. Not because I didn't like it, but I just don't know w- what I would recommend it as. Like, this is the best mm. what, right? Like, if someone says you want to watch a romance, there's a lot of other probably better romance movies. Uh, if someone said... What's a romance movie I should watch that's a foreign language movie in the 60s? This one would fit. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think, is it my turn next, next week? Is that, is that what, how mm-hmm, this works? Mm-hmm. How, how this process works? Let's do, let's do some really corny 90s romance. How's that? Um, okay. Let's watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That is now on Netflix. Came back to Netflix. Netflix. So we can... You can watch that along with anybody else who's who's watching it. It's definitely '90s. It's got some uh, Brian Adams soundtrack to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got the over-the-top um, sheriff of Nottingham, who who knows he's in one of these kind of movies and is hamming it up all the way through. Right, um, right. It's been a long time. He's since. seemingly the only one who knows that he's in a in a campy movie. Right, uh, and it's Rick. been a while since I watched this one, but um, you know. It's it's definitely not it's I don't know it's a love story but it's not like I think this other one was a tr- the one we just watched was a true love story this is just a love story and I don't know if mm-hmm. me Marion and Robin would live happily ever after or not they'd probably get in fights and then get a divorce in in three months <laughs> yeah it's it's tricky I didn't uh, I didn't say this when we were doing we were doing final judgments for Umbrella as a Shareboard it's 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 weird because I. I enjoyed it so much, but I acknowledge that it's it's such a strange thing, right? Like, yeah. I've seen a handful of French films. We we watched Amélie uh, last year. I've seen a couple more since then, um, but it's it's so different from everything else. It's this sort of this uh, experience. I forget how I described it early in our in our conversation, um, but it's something that I. I kind of want other people to see, but I can't figure out how to recommend it or why it's not like, you know, the greatest movie ever that I'm like, Oh, if you haven't seen this, you haven't heard this. I, I, you know, acknowledge that it's, that it's something strange and unique. I I could say, I could say this about it. I could say, if you wonder why people say that French are classically romantic people, then you should watch this Mm -hmm. movie and it will help you understand that. Because I think the whole mm-hmm. movie is very classy, romantic, and French. I guess like mm-hmm. the way they're mm-hmm. you're listening to their language sing the whole time. It's a beautiful, right. it's a beautiful flowery language that sounds beautiful when they speak it. Spoke by beautiful people, not just the ladies, but the men. Mm-hmm. Even the mom is very mm-hmm. attractive, and and they're they're mm-hmm. just attractive French people. And you saying attractive French words about a love story about true love. And there's no, there's never any non-love in this show. Uh, like even when she, sorry, when we're going back to this, even when she marries somebody else, she says, she doesn't even say yes to him on, on screen. 
they just like the other person finds out about it. They have a really quick wedding and then that's over. So it's not like anything that's sad and not romantic. They just don't show. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah I, not, I could see it's that. It's not for dwelt sure. on at all. Yeah. I could see how that that's a falling in love with the French of it, you know? Sure. For sure. All okay. right. So, so next week, Robin Hood, um, we've got just a, little bit of time i did watch the first episode of foundation that you oh, mentioned yeah. last week right um i don't know that i have much to say about it it's yeah. um it's a very long setup isn't it like a long it's, setup. it's very long and if if all of the episodes are going to be over an hour long it's going to be a challenge for me to uh you know i talked about that earlier with episode run times well, but, well the, um, i'll tell you this one the second one is long. <laughs> I don't know how to okay. describe it. It's okay. it's not it's not, that doesn't it doesn't get better. I watched the second one. I watched the third one, but the first one I felt satisfied in that there was progress. There was some interesting story building or world building. It's a pilot. Like a lot yeah, happens in a, like pilot, a pilot, so you right. sort of expect that. Uh, but the second one doesn't have a lot of that, and it's just long to do a few mm. things. Uh, it has beautiful, I mean, you gotta admit it has beautiful, like graphics, I guess is the word for them. All right. Or, um, yeah. Sets, set sets pieces and, and stuff, you know, it's, it's all be- totally mm-hmm. believable and gorgeous and neat and, 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 you know, awesome, but s- slow. And, and he, he, here's what, here's my thing too. You know, the guy, anybody's listening, semi spoilers. Um, you know, the guy who I think is the love interest, um, he, there's a main girl. Do you know what I'm talking about? The main girl. She's the the new mathematician girl. Mm-hmm. And then there's the main. You're mathematician. talking about talking about the guy who was uh, in Harry Potter movies. Is he in, is he in Harry Potter movies? I, I don't know. He he is he's uh, the main mathematician's like bodyguard or 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 buddy or something. And he she, yeah. she meets uh, him. Rache is his name. Oh, is that his name? Yeah. He he is not very good. At least I don't think he's very good. Like he's kind of creepy. Like as an actor? Yeah. As an actor. Or like as a character. Oh, okay. Both. Maybe the, the character is not interesting because the actor is not that good. At least not mm. in this role. He's just completely one, not completely not believable Two, that he's, their connection feels super forced. Um, mm. and then, uh, here was my description when I was telling somebody else. I said, it's like he's in a B movie science fiction show and he's a love interest, but he's in a, an A level science fiction movie and he's the only one like that. So every time he's on screen and he's talking, I'm really pulled out of the whole thing. Right? He okay. totally doesn't belong in this story. He does not fit just to the actor. The way he delivers lines, he's he has no he's got a good face, but he just has no acting ability. I think whatsoever, at least what I've seen in this. Um, and that he, and he's a main part in this next, in the next episode. And it's an, like an hour or so of that. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, this is, this is not interesting. And he's a main character and he's like becoming even more of a main character. I'm like, okay, they focus on this guy. I am, I'm pretty out. And then they keep dragging on these episodes. I, I won't be, I won't be in. I'll watch it for another one still. And yeah. you know, but you're right. I can see exactly what you're saying. If it goes on for these long things, they'll they'll lose people mm-hmm. quick. 
Yeah. Ga- Game of Thrones at least I had can't remember, things happen. Yeah, I can't remember what... I've definitely read or heard something recently that had a like a dynasty based on cloning. And I can't remember if it was somebody talking about this show or mm. something else. Or I was like, I just heard something about this recently. I, I know I had talked last week about it. Like I, I talked about a, a, a book that I had read about it that had this exact thing. Mm. And, I, and I had said last week, I said I hadn't, I hadn't seen a lot of that, but I'm sure it was a common thing. Um, but this is the first time I've ever seen it on film myself. And I, I thought the idea of brother day, brother dusk and brother, Dawn is neat. Um, mm-hmm. Lee Pace is pretty pretty good as right, right. that character um, that he's playing, and and his, for for that part, he's interesting. Like he's not a, I don't think he's a good guy, but I don't know. But he's a good enough actor. He that's a perfect example. He's a good actor that's doing some good heavy lifting, and so is Jared Harris mm-hmm. as Harry. They're doing some good heavy lifting, and then out of nowhere comes uh, Raish. And you're mm-hmm. like, ugh, you're 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 like a twenty something, uh, straight out of a sci-fi channel. Sci-fi channel, exactly. Series. Yeah, straight out of Stargate. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh man, what what is? You're 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 acting next to geniuses here. You know, come up a little bit, buddy. Right. But buddy, the uh, I, right. on the other side, the the guy Lou, what's her name? Lou. It's it's not a guy. It's a girl. Uh, Labelle. I can never say her name. It's she plays guy. Uh, Gal. I think is her name. It's the the main mathematician Gale. girl, Gale. Yeah. She's, she's mm-hmm. pretty good. She seems well done and I could watch more of her, but anyway, I ranted up mm-hmm. about, about uh, this race guy. Somebody out there is going like, man, he's the best actor ever. He's been in so many things, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll watch some more of that and see how that in goes. other, uh, in other, well, I don't know, whatever news um, I've gotten, pretty much all of my family now to watch the new um or at least all of my family that are here uh the new all creatures great and small oh yeah and and they are three episodes into their second season already which i guess tracks it's been Mm. you know the first season was was late last year um and it's great my parents love it and uh all of the you know we talked about this a couple weeks ago when i when I saw it, but the first season was good. They're, um, they're telling the story and the stories in a more, um, in a more narrative way. I think the original series was more, um, focused more on the cases and the animals. And this, this show, the new one definitely does that as well. Um, but has more sort of progressive continuing stories. Um, and all of the cast, all of the acting is just is just so good. There's so much um, nonverbal, you know, like we'll say the looks, the the sort of face acting, mm, the expression, the face acting. The, the, big the, fan. I'm big the, fan the, of that. I just the, am. You know, one the 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 Siegfried character, the main the main vet, is very sort of. Um, I don't know. In the original series, he was he was almost bipolar, right? He would be furious one day and mm-hmm. then completely jovial the next. Um, and in th- there's not quite as much of that, but he still has this sort of like he'll say something, he'll give some some bit of advice in a 
or not even advice, but some like admonishment in a real kind of kind of harsh way. And then like later in the same episode, that same advice will be given back to him because he's not following it himself. And he he will, you know, just sort of bluster and and harumph and, and sort of uh you know, if if he acknowledges if he gives it anything at all in, in in terms of acknowledgement, it will be to sort of flip flip something that somebody else said around as if it was his idea mm-hmm. to begin with. And it seems the way I dis- I I describe that, it sounds kind of frustrating and, and sort of um I don't even know what word like malicious. Um yeah. But it's not that at all. Like, especially in this in this new iteration of the story, um, the character is written much more as a um, a person who is is well intentioned. Um, but they set up this this scenario where both of their parents um, are are gone or. At least in the original, they talk about the mother, their mother, but I don't think they ever see their mother. Um, There's not much talk about their parents at all in the new one, except that um, he has been raising his younger brother since he was like 14 or something like that. And so he has this sense of like, like he always has to be like, he's always trying to be a parent or, you know, a boss or whatever in this. And so he's just, he's just trying really hard all the time and is awkward with people like is better with animals than with people, which is why he pursued a veterinary oh, yeah. career. Veterinary, yeah. Um, and it's much, anyway, I went, I went way too <laughs> deep in the, in the weeds with the details of that. But the, the character in the original is, is kind of funny right you you see him and you're like oh he's doing the thing where he told james he's wasting the he's wasting this um thread when he's stitching wounds and then when he stitches the wounds he's using big you know lengths of it and it's like he's not following his own advice and it's kind of funny um where in this new one you see him and and he's still can be very unsympathetic sometimes mm-hmm. you still can see the situation he's in and you're like, well, he's like, yes, this is this. But in, in this case, like he's sort of backed into a corner, partly by his own doing and partly just by circumstances or the people around him. And you're like, okay, yeah, it's, um, anyway, it's very good. I, I, I have to agree with, while I haven't seen these guys in particular, I, I did, how do I say this? Well, saying extremely stupid. I was big into acting back in high school and uh, a little mm. bit in college. And so I was in some plays and, and musicals and such uh, throughout that time and really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I had, that's just enough to say that I have enough experience with having a script with lines that you're supposed to, to say, and then going up there and then actually conveying that and knowing how it is in reality of, you know, it's, it's weird when you, if you really think about something, when, you know what's going to be said next and you know what you're supposed to say after that. Right. Like right. having that future yeah. knowledge is hard to be in the moment. But when you, it, it, what it's done for me is having that very little minute 
bit of acting experience, if you even call it that, is to appreciate people who, when you watch them, you can see that that's not on, that's not in the script. It's, those aren't just words. Granted, mm-hmm. words can be delivered masterfully, right? With wonderful acting. Sure. But when sure, people yeah. can do things that aren't words and convey things, it's just so stunning to me. I am just so in awe of people who can do that well. Um, and, and watching those shows, I, th- I think, um, to, to say our Marvel guy, um, Loki, the actor for Loki does a lot, a lot of that. He, mm, he has, he mm-hmm. just has facial expressions and things that he, he does and looks or the way he moves between scenes. And, and that's just in the big Marvel stuff, but you know, and a lot of other things have, have a lot of those things. I really, I really enjoy this. And I can watch a show like you're saying this show, I could see that being the draw to make me watch it. And it doesn't have to be a big sci-fi, huge foundation mm-hmm. thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas I see this, sure. I mentioned that other actor in that foundation that I didn't like, doesn't seem to have any of that. And because he doesn't have any of that, <laughs> it's completely not interesting. Right. Whereas I could sure, watch sure. a show that's just a whole bunch of dialogue. And these people that are great actors, I would be, you know, yeah. much more interested. I, I, that's why these I, shows do great. I tried to, I tried to get into a couple of, um, uh, podcast. Well, I'm going to call them radio dramas, right? Like, uh, scripted, dramatic acting sort of podcasts. Yeah, and I can tell, like, I don't know how they recorded them, but I'm like. This is, I can tell in the dialogue that this character is interrupting this character who's talking, except the character who's talking pauses. Like, they're reading from the script, and they only have text. There's only words up until the point they get interrupted. So they read that, and I'm like, is this, am I listening to a high school play? Because that's what this sounds like to me. It sounds like incredibly amateurish. Yeah, and, and there's so much of an art. And I know these actors get a lot of first off, they get a lot of money. So, you know, it's it's not like they're getting if, not getting credit for what they're doing. They, they, right. They get, and yeah, and they're they also compensated uh, fairly. Yeah. Right. Compensated fairly for their hard work and their and their skill. Uh but, you know, it, it there's a lot there's a lot to it. I d I don't want to puff up any actors already. They're already almost by their profession have big heads. Um, but it does. And and I love that you mentioned that thing about interrupting. Like that's, it's so many, that's, that's a little bit of an art, right? You see it, you know that you mm-hmm. have to interrupt and you know that he has lines. So there's, you have to, you have to properly interrupt forcefully enough and early enough so he can still be saying and taper off. So it, you have to be good. Right. And I, when you mm-hmm. notice that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, like, Oh, you can just tell. And sometimes people don't know what it is that makes somebody sound like an amateur. And then, other things when they have these like interruptions, you just don't notice it. And next time you watch like a, a Goodwill Hunting and you watch them arguing and you see that happen, you're like, "This was on script. This was written down, mm-hmm. and it sounds like a natural conversation." It's pretty. It's you know, right. It's pretty right. cool. I, I appreciate that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, that sounds like a show that, that would be very cool and interesting. It's also hard to to tell people about, right? It's hard to say like, watch this because they've got good actors. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? A good actor can make a, a bland story really amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Well, I think we got we got a lot going on here. So some some more things happening. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, that I'll, I, I go up to mm-hmm. Chicago and watch. Uh, go to take my daughter to Galloping Ghost this weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. The arcade. I, I'm. We're, we'll see how it goes, but um, 
I'm thinking I might try to do that this weekend, maybe up to the science museum. So I always wanted to kind of take her to the science technology museum. Mm. She has a fall break. So I'm hoping to go up and see that. And if we get a chance, I'm crossing my fingers that I can watch the new James Bond movie um, mm. that's coming out. Cause I've always said on the show many times and to you, I'm a huge Daniel Craig, James Bond fan. Mm-hmm. And this is his last mm-hmm. one. His so, last one. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I saw a YouTube, uh, uh, critical drinker did a, sort of reaction to that he said it was both better and worse than he expected which was a funny <laughs> sort of thing but he did he did a non because a lot of the early promotional materials hyped it up as this like a bond for the me too generation which is like to any bond fan is like what no please don't <laughs> uh, that sounds awful um but yeah it, but there, there's but so it, many terrible bonds like there's so many what was the one I watched? I think it was a Timothy Dalton one where it's like the media or something. It's about the media. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so awful. It was just the yeah. whole premise of it yeah. was so awful. And, and I, you know, if you actually watch most bonds, you, you, the chances that you're going to get an awful bond is considerably high, <laughs> right? It's pretty high. It's, it's pretty, pretty high. even yeah, with, I mean, I'm interested Daniel in Craig seeing stuff. that one too, but uh, yeah, but yeah, hopefully I said, I crossed my fingers and and hope that uh, this one is going to be good. I, I I don't know what I think about the future, <laughs> James Bond. Uh, right, right. But it, it, there'll be another one. There'll be another thing. It, it'll live forever. Um, just like yeah. they'll have uh, Mission Impossible until um, Tom Cruise is 106, still still doing his yeah. own stunts. Until his until his witch magic wears off. His space magic, not witch magic. Space, space magic. Space magic. <laughs> Cool, man. All right. You've been listening to The Front Porch. This is episode 215. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. If you want to reach out to us with suggestions for movies that we should watch and discuss, you can do that via email. Uh, Our address is frontporchpod at gmail.com. Or you can go over to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, and use the contact forms there. If you enjoy The Front Porch, please consider subscribing on the podcatcher of your choice. And while you're there, if you leave us a positive review... We always appreciate that. As always, thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.